Now, last week, we talked about this part of Yeshua's work, his resurrection and ascension. And we framed it in a very Jewish way, frankly. We framed it uh, as the inauguration of a kingdom and how we noticed in the, gospel, in the book of Acts how Peter, in his preaching, identifies the resurrection and the ascension of Yeshua as fulfilled prophecy of a king, of the messianic king. See, uh, And now, today, we want to talk about the next thing that happens in this work of Yeshua, and it's the next statement in our U Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations uh, doctrinal statement. And uh, I do have a goal of completing this statement by the end of the year, but I just won't say which one. No, by the end of this year, okay? Uh, the secular year, okay. <laughs> so this statement says, God poured out the divine spirit on the community of Yeshua's followers so that they might be joined intimately to the Messiah as his body and become the preliminary representation of the new covenant fullness promised to Israel. To this early Jewish community, God added partners from among the nations who had heard the good news of God's work in Yeshua and responded to the good news with faith. Okay? So, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Luke wrote two books of the New Covenant. Okay, You can guess one of them, right? He wrote the Gospel of Luke. But he also wrote the book of Acts. All right? And he wrote them probably as like a... Uh, set, you might say, okay? Uh, like, it's not a coincidence, like, uh, you know, oh, we happen to write Acts also. No, they come together. They're like a set. And perhaps it would be helpful, in a way, if Acts could come after Luke. Because if you read the very end of Luke, the very end, let's take, let's take a look there, beginning in verse 44. Now, he said to them, these are my words, this is Yeshua, before his ascension to the right hand of the Father, which we could also call his ascension to the throne. Okay. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now you should be, if you have taken any MSI classes, you realize this is the order of how we teach the Tanakh uh, at MSI the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, the Psalms representing what we call the writings, all of the, the wisdom literature and the poetry and, and so on. Okay. Uh, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That verse is going to come back to us in a little while. Then he opened their, uh, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it, it, was, it is written, that the Messiah should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Couldn't we just give a bunch of sermons on verses 44 to 53? But anyway, you'll notice here, if, all, if we did not have the beginning of the, the book of Acts, people might say, 
Well, you see, then Yeshua went to India, right? It just says he parted from them. It says he went somewhere else. End of story. Or he went uh, into North Africa. Or that uh, he went uh, to Asia. Or that he came to Rochester, New York. You know what that means. And buried something underground, right? Right. And they returned to Jerusalem. Okay, well, let's now turn to the first chapter of Acts. Because now we're going to understand, oh, there's more? What is this blessing from the Father? What is this blessing from the Father? And where did he go? A thinking person reading the end of Luke would ask those two questions. So now, in the beginning of Acts, part two, part two of the Gospel of Luke, which, by the way, it really is. Uh, You know, the way Luke is written sets the stage for the book of Acts. The way Yeshua teaches and what he teaches sets the stage for what happens in the book of Acts. Very interesting. So here we have the beginning of the book of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, he's writing this to Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. You know, back in the day when I was a new believer, there was a really a famous book called Many Convincing Proofs. And it was about all these great uh, uh, ways of uh, showing the reality, the historicity of uh, Yeshua. Anyway. Uh, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, and gathering them together, he commanded them, not to leave Jerusalem. Now see here, now we're going to get more information. Right? Uh, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John immersed with water, but you shall be immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Jerusalem? Now they ask him that question for a very important reason. These were not uh, uh, unknowledgeable people, and they knew something. They knew that if this promise from the Father, this promise of the Ruach HaKodesh is coming, the restoration of Israel must be coming, because it's a promise in the Tanakh, and wherever the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, is promised in the Tanakh, There's a kingdom coming with it, okay? It's like a package deal. You know, people can argue that it doesn't clearly say that there's going to be like uh, a Messiah who uh, brings this kingdom. I mean, we read about the king who will be king in the kingdom, but you don't have um, too many clearly explicit texts that talk about, well, this king is going to come and he's going to be the enfleshment of God and he's going to die for our sins and he's going to be raised from the dead and then, and then there's going to be this kingdom. You, you do have texts, but they're not as explicit as the texts about the Ruach HaKodesh where you can point to it and nobody, there's no argument because they understood this, the disciples of Yeshua understood it and you know, the sages of Israel understood it. The people who interpret the Bible today understand it because there's no way of getting around it. You can look at passages in the rabbinic literature and other commentaries by the sages of Israel who talk about the Ruach HaKodesh in relationship to the, to the Olam Haba, to the end, to the consummation. 
okay? So let's look at a couple of these passages so we can understand why they asked him this question. Lord, are you now establishing the kingdom uh, in, to Israel? And that also is a euphemism for the end, all right? Okay, uh, so let's uh, turn to uh, Ezekiel 36 very quickly. Uh, not to uh, set the whole uh, stage here, but uh, Ezekiel is writing to people who are in the Babylonian captivity, and he's encouraging them that this is not the end. This is not the end. God is not finished with us. In fact, he's going to bring us back to the land and establish a kingdom, right? And you can read that on your own, beginning in verse 22. But if you uh, go to verse 26 and 27, I'm following, he says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. And, and he goes on to describe in that day, in that glorious day. So in that day, we read a promise. God would place his spirit within them. All right? Okay. Uh, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, where um, uh, Ezekiel gives an illustration of what he said in chapter 36, and that is this prophecy of the dry bones, of Israel's coming together. He sees a big valley full of dead bones. He brings them together slowly but surely. It's not like, bam, now there's a body. No, they slowly come together and there's a rattling and the bones come together. And then all the different, if I was a doctor, I could say all the different, all the different things, oh, I'm tempted to say, and stuff that, that we're made of, uh, all comes together. And, and then there's a dead body, then God breathes life into the body. And that basically is an illustration of what, he, of what he's saying in uh, chapter uh, 36. But if you look at verse 14, I believe, yeah, I like to, let's go back to uh, verse 11 of chapter 37. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is, has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you up into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened up your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land, and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. There you go, okay? Again, this, this great promise of a return from the land, of uh, the fruition of the land, and of God dwelling in their midst. This is the consummation, okay? Now, the prophet Joel, which chronologically is before Ezekiel. I don't know if you're aware of that. You don't want to read this as, oh, then he died and the next guy wrote a book. You know, it doesn't work that way, okay? Joel is a lot older. I probably should have read that first, uh, uh, now that I think about it, because perhaps Ezekiel gained some insight from Joel, that which is a possibility, okay? We call that informing theology. All right, so now in Joel, in chapter 2, Joel is uh, one of those books that 
uh, talks about the day of the Lord, very famous for the, even the phrase, the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a, day, is, is a term, is a phrase that has to do with everything that occurs at the end. Whether we're talking about the great wars and tribulation at the end or uh, the great day of uh, God dwelling, uh, you know, of Yeshua returning, dwelling in the midst of the people. And, and so the whole thing is the day of the Lord. In that day, it's very important. So when you're reading the prophecy, in that day, it will be like this. That is the day of the Lord, all right? And so Joel talks about a lot of the, the trials and tribulations and about the glory of that day. So in verse uh, 28 of chapter 2, and this was written quite early, Joel says, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. That's interesting, not just on Israel, but on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay? So after a great and tumultuous time, God says here, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. All right? Okay. Now, in chapter 3, this is very helpful. There were uh, breaking news. There were no chapter divisions. Right? Okay. For be- so the very next thing it says is, for behold, in the- and it's part of the same section, really. Okay? For behold, in those days and at that time, And what time is it? When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, sold a girl for wine uh, uh, that they may drink. And he goes on and on and on about that. But if you go down, he says... In verse 16, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold of the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, strangers will pass through it uh, no more. It will come about in that day that the mountains will drip sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk and the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and, and it goes, you know, on and on. The very end, and I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Uh, verse 20, I should have read verse 20. But Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem for all generations. So again, all of these are um, uh, descriptions uh, of the end. But what they all have in common is that God says, I will pour out my spirit. I will give you my spirit. Okay. Uh, now, so these are, uh, you know, very important verses because, and there's no argument among anybody that this is about the consummation, uh, whether you're talking about Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, whoever it may be. So in the first century, when there was certainly no axe to grind, you know, at, at this time, it's the most natural question when he talks about the promise of the fathers, the promise, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, that means the end is near. 
That means that this kingdom is, is coming. That means that Jerusalem is going to get restored and, and you know, it's all going to be just right. And so that begs the question of them in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And so, just like Yeshua in Matthew chapter 13 explained the mystery of the kingdom being uh, one, that it was going to be uh, able to be rejected, it was going to dwell within this world, it was going to be invisible, it was going to, be, it was going to seem small and insignificant, but really very, very important. Uh, and that he was eventually going to come again like uh, the Son of Man in the clouds and establish his literal kingdom uh, in this earth. In the meantime, this kingdom is invisible, will be invisible, uh, and, uh, and Yeshua uh, indeed will be king. Now, so for the Ruach to be poured out, there has to be this kingdom. Yeshua had to ascend to the right hand. He had to raise from the dead having atoned for our sins so that we would have entree to his kingdom. And he had to be raised from the dead because that is the beginning of the eschaton. That is the beginning of the end, resurrection of the dead. And he had to ascend to his throne and for the time being at the right hand of the Father. And so the next thing to happen is indeed the pouring out, according to the promise of God, of the Ruach HaKodesh. It is the next thing to happen in the messianic promises that God has made to Israel. Okay? And so, because this kingdom is invisible, and because Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father, and because we're living in this prolepsis, this in-between time, where the kingdom is visible in the community of those who are followers of Messiah, Yeshua says to them, just before he ascends, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay? Which means it's not going to be exactly the time of the end yet. It's not going to be the, this kingdom yet. Okay? This is very similar, by the way, again, to Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk, that little prophet Habakkuk, very similar. Where he cries out to God and then God gives him a vision and he says it's not happening yet. But in the meantime, the just shall live faithfully. Okay? It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And right after he says that, he ascends to his throne at the right hand of the Father. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. Okay? All right. Now, so, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because part of this mystery is that, yes, there would be a resurrection. There would be an ascension. And the Holy Spirit would indeed be poured out. But the mystery is, the evidence of the Holy Spirit would be evidenced in the power of the community, the spiritual power, uh, empowerment of the community of those who embrace Yeshua. Okay? Of those who embrace Yeshua. Uh, and we would receive power to testify to this world that the Messiah has come and his name is Yeshua and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and he ascended to his throne at the right hand of the Father. Come, come join. You, all you need to do is embrace the Messiah, repent of your sins. See, so now they're waiting. They're waiting for this to take place. 
So now we come to chapter 2. There's other things that take place, but for our purposes, let's turn to chapter 2 of Acts. Now when Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire. Like, like you know, fire, what fire looks like. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, uh, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues uh, as the Spirit had given them utterance. Now, what's really cool about this is the whole thing is described in detail, so we don't have to wonder what does this mean. Just keep reading. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's very important, that verse. Okay, this is all really important. The way we read this usually, we skip over the most important parts. Maybe I ought to give a whole preaching thing on Acts. I don't know. Anyway, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. The idea here is, the picture here is, Jews from all the nations have come to Jerusalem and something's happening to them. Like the promise that Joel and Ezekiel talked about. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each hearing them speak in his own tongue. Only in English do, do, we have different, do we have a different word for language and tongue. It's interesting. Okay? They were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Phrygia, I'm sure I'm pronouncing all this wrong, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the district of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God, just like Yeshua said would happen. Now, it's important that we understand in verse 5 when he says, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so he's describing where these people have come from. Now we read in verse 12, and they were all understanding each other in their own dialects and languages. This was a miracle from God. This was the power of God. This was, an ev this was the first evidence of the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit, as had been promised. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? And others were mocking, saying, They are full of sweet wine, like they're drunk. But Peter, all of a sudden, Peter, who uh, had run away, Peter, who uh, denied the Lord, Peter, who was on the outs, so to speak, but not really, uh, Peter now is empowered like he had never been before. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. You know, this is kind of black and white here. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my bond slaves both men and women i will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy 
And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we see here that uh, Peter identifies what's happening as this is like the end. This is like what Joel says. The, the pouring forth of the uh, Ruach HaKodesh. And, and you have Jews from all over the world uh, uh, coming together uh, and uh, being empowered. Now, last week we looked at the rest of this speech where Peter begin, goes on to talk about, again, the, uh, the verses uh, that speak of the installment of a king, like Psalm 16. And so here he takes Joel uh, and Psalm 16 uh, and Psalm 110, and in the same message, he says, this is what's happening. And that is, you are experiencing the resurrection, the ascension, and the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, and this is the beginning of this uh, the beginning of this uh, kingdom. Now, what we see as the book of Acts continues is that, the, that among, mostly among Jews, in different situations, the Holy Spirit is coming upon people. And they're recognizing that what happened to you is happening to me. Uh, and, uh, and at the beginning, the way Luke is describing this is they were all like coming to recognize this new era had begun. What a time. What a time. And so we read in chapter 3 about, you know, the community coming together and they were one. Uh, uh, in, in a sense, what you have in chapters 2 and 3 are like this, this perfect microcosm of what this kingdom is. Jews coming from the four corners of the earth, filled with the Holy Spirit and this complete unity of believers and so on and so forth. Then we read a little bit farther on in chapter 5 where these people come and they lie to the apostles about their land and, and their giving. But, but what is it referred to as? They've lied to the Holy Spirit. See? Because you see, now there was this understanding that the Holy Spirit had, had brought to us the very presence of God is everywhere amongst us. The presence of God is everywhere like you read in the prophets. This promise of the Father, the, the purpose of the, of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was empowerment to live godly. That's what you read in Ezekiel. Uh, to live, to have eternal life or to have, uh, you know, uh, real life, uh, life forever, resurrection life. That's what you read about in Ezekiel uh, 37. Uh, and then what you read in Joel chapter 2 is uh, life after uh, life after death, basically, and the beginning of this new era, as it is depicted in the uh, book of uh, Joel. And so we see how it begins to be worked out among the community of faith. And so it's called lying to the Holy Spirit, because now they realize that this, the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh is the definition, one might say, of the visible presence of this kingdom. There's other parts to this, of course, but... The, the, in, this, in these texts, that's what we see. Now, now according to our statement, so God poured out the divine spirit upon the community of Yeshua's followers 
so that they might be joined intimately to the Messiah as his body and become the preliminary representation of new covenant fullness promised to Israel. That's exactly what happened. But then turn to chapter 10. In chapter 10, this is a very important chapter in the history of the new covenant. Okay? One that many here should be very happy about, I would think. Okay? So basically, what you see is this up till through chapter 9. Oh, and by the way, in chapter 9, in verse 31, you almost have a line of demarcation. It's almost like an epilogue to the first part. Okay? Verse 31 of chapter 9. So the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of believers, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Do you get that? Throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, in Israel, enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Like the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a great little statement. Now, what's also interesting is the word comfort of the Holy Spirit. Why did Luke choose that word? Maybe because, because that is the very same word that Yeshua uses in John chapter 14, the same root word, I believe, uh, the same root word uh, that we read uh, in, um, uh, yeah, when Yeshua says, I'm going to send you a helper, I'm going to send you a comforter. Isn't that interesting? That, so here we see that it's happened. And you see that this promise is in the process of being fulfilled in Israel. And every time a Jewish person comes to faith in Yeshua, added to the numbers. But now in chapter 10, now there was a certain man from Caesarea, oh, named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continuously. But the point is, is he wasn't Jewish, okay? That's the point, okay? He's not Jewish. All right. So uh, now uh, we see about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as, an, as a memorial before God. Now he's going to call for Peter, right? So now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner named Simon, uh, whose house is by the sea, all right? All right, so now uh, the issue is, uh, Peter, how's Peter going to be convinced that he should go to this Gentile centurion, right? So on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and became hungry. And he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And behold, the sky opened, and a certain object, like a great sheet, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. All kinds of animals are on it, see? There were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures, earth of the earth, birds of the, of the air. Peter say, And Peter hears a voice. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Unkosher, by the way. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, let no one consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, 
Behold, the men who had been seen by, sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. And arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason which you have come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. Okay? So then they explain about uh, uh, Cornelius, right? Uh, and, and so uh, we see here uh, in verse, uh, verse 25, And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too uh, am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered the, and found many people assembled. And he said, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And now this is the explanation of the vision of, of the food. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius said, uh, four days ago I was praying, and he explains. Now the first thing, because uh, I don't want to take the time to read the entire chapter, <laughs> but the first thing is, is when Peter sees the vision of the food, the, idea, the, the understanding had nothing to do with food. It had to do with him being able to go to, to Cornelius, being able to go to the Gentiles. This is a major moment, okay? And so Peter goes to him, and Peter witnesses something, all right? Uh, let's see. Now, in verse uh, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. See? Very important. They were amazed because, you see, the pouring out of the Spirit was the sign of the presence of this kingdom because this is what had been promised. And what did they experience? They experienced that they could speak and everybody would know what they were saying. And so... For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be immersed, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be immersed in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And so, according to our statement, to this early Jewish community, God added partners from among the nations who heard the good news of God's work in Yeshua and responded to the good news. In faith. Now, I will say, I, didn't, I had not thought of this, but in chapter 13, if you jump over to chapter 13, you know, you could say, you could make the argument, well, Cornelius, he was a God-fearer. Cornelius was uh, somebody who already loved the Jews. See, that made him the perfect prototype. But not, it's not teaching that, okay, now the only way that anybody uh, to know the Lord is to love Israel first or something. Okay, I, that gets, I'm sure, I'm sure that gets taught somewhere. Okay, that you got to be just like Cornelius. You got to be a God-fearer. Then you can have the Holy Spirit. No. Okay, look at chapter 13. 
All right. Uh, okay. Now you, you notice here in chapter 13. Now they were at Antioch. This is later on. Paul and Barnabas are at Antioch. Now there, now there were at Antioch the congregation that was there. Prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. By the way, the testimony of Luke is that one of the main works of the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading. Guiding and leading. The Holy Spirit leads them. The presence of God. We would say that today. The Spirit of God led me. You know, very same, very same way. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and then to Cyprus, okay? Uh, and when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they also had John as a helper. And when they had gone through the whole Jewish, the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar Yeshua, <laughs> uh, who was the proconsul, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus was not a God-fearer. Sergius Paulus was a magistrate of some sort. Okay? He was a, just a Gentile. Okay? A, man of intel- a smart man, man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, and you read that for the first time here, I think it's significant. But Paul, who was also known as Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteous, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon uh, you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now, the next verse says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga from Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, some other time we'll talk about, I wonder why John returned to Jerusalem. That's fascinating. And why is Paul, why is Saul now called Paul right here for the first time? And why is it right in the middle of this guy, this, this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, receives the faith. A Gentile, a Gentile magistrate, a Gentile magistrate who's not related to the Jewish people in any way. Wow. I think this is also very significant. See? Because what we see in the book of Acts is how this kingdom is spreading, so to speak. And the visible manifestation of the spreading of the kingdom is via the Ruach HaKodesh. And the Holy Spirit's role is to magnify Yeshua. They're all embracing Yeshua, but the manifestation is the Ruach HaKodesh. You see? And so that's why a healthy congregation focuses on Yeshua, but experiences the empowerment of the Ruach HaKodesh. And it's interesting, we don't have time, but if, if you go on, we talked about this in earlier sections when we talked about the Holy Spirit, but the triunity of God and the role of the Spirit. That in the letters of Paul, he accentuates more the sense of uh, what Ezekiel talks about rather than what Joel talks about. In Acts, it seems that the role of the Spirit is more of this empowering to witness. And in Paul, 
the, uh, the role of the Spirit is more of empowering to live a godly life. But Paul does say uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, there that if uh, one is a believer, you have indeed the Ruach HaKodesh. The uh, presence of the Spirit is not determined by how good the music is. The presence of the Spirit is not determined by the, that just how, how neat the service was or the, the vibe I got. Okay? No. Uh, it is, the presence of the Spirit is, is being empowered to live a holy and godly life uh, and a power to testify of, uh, of, of the Messiah. That's what we read in the text. That's what we read in the text. So, according to our statement, that is exactly uh, indeed uh, what we believe. We believe that the uh, Ruach HaKodesh was indeed uh, poured out after the ascension of Yeshua. Uh, when Yeshua was at the right hand of the Father on his throne, the next thing was pouring out the Ruach HaKodesh as a visible sign of the a visible manifestation of the presence of God's kingdom. Uh, and those who dwell in God's kingdom uh, have the Ruach HaKodesh dwelling within them uh, and are empowered to live a godly life and empowered to testify uh, of uh, the reality uh, of, uh, of the Messiah. Well, certainly there's much more to say about, uh, about uh, how that plays itself out in our lives. And we already covered a portion of that when we talked about the Ruach HaKodesh in, the, in relationship to the triunity of God. But in terms of being poured out upon Israel and the nations, that uh, has indeed begun. And every time a Jew comes to know the Lord today, a Jewish person comes to know the Lord, we're adding to the, to the numbers of Jews uh, uh, who came to faith. Uh, and receive the Ruach HaKodesh. Every time a, a Gentile uh, comes to faith, we're adding to the numbers of those who, who partner with Israel, just like Cornelius and, and uh, Sergius Paulus and other people that we read about who came and received the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is what happens when you embrace Yeshua. By definition, that is what happens. And the visible presence of Yeshua in your life is via the Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, and all of this is promised. Uh, in uh, the prophets of Israel. And what a, it, what a great thing it is for us to know that we're living in the day of the promise. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you, God, for uh, the promise of the Ruach HaKodesh. Lord, we thank you. We pray, God, that we would indeed manifest the fruit of the Spirit. We would indeed manifest boldly what it means uh, to know Messiah Yeshua, to speak boldly the truth to, uh, to uh, experience the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, we do indeed pray uh, that uh, we would also uh, manifest uh, the, Holy Sp the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in our lives as you have called us to in our relationship to one another for the common good, as your word says, Lord. And uh, God, uh, may uh, our uh, witness be bold uh, and uh, uh, God, may uh, uh, people uh, come to know you through this testimony of the uh, Ruach HaKodesh, the presence of Messiah Yeshua in our lives. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.